Step outside the comfort zone. It's time for the JoLynn Thomas Show. The show that doesn't just scratch the surface of the important issues, it gets to the heart of the matter. Here's your host, JoLynn Thomas. Hello, it's so good to have you along for today's conversation. We have a lot to get to, and I'm very excited about a couple of studies that I've come across that really spark some new understanding about the power of stories. I am a big believer that stories can bring about crucial change. I have always believed that stories can do far more than facts, figures, and statistics. I want you to think for a moment. Do you remember the first story that sort of drew you in and really changed the way you saw the world? Do you remember a story that you could hear over and over again? Well, throughout history, we continue to see as we study the stories of the past that stories are responsible for sparking personal transformation. Stories are sort of, if you think about it, like superheroes. They have the ability to bridge gaps. They can touch hearts and shift opinions. And here's the big one. Believe it or not, we now are learning that stories can change our brains. That's kind of mind-blowing, isn't it? I mean, seriously, for years we have known that stories can impact how we think and they can shape the way that we see the world and how we interact with those around us. But now researchers are shining a bold spotlight on how this transformation takes place in our brains. According to Psychology Today, believe it or not, I found this to be truly intriguing, and I love it because as a journalist, when you get right down to it, I am essentially a professional storyteller. So according to Psychology Today, we actually use more of our brains when listening to stories than when we are listening to facts and figures and statistics. And I think this is kind of intriguing because there are always those intellectuals out there who believe that all the credibility should go to facts and figures and statistics. Not so. Not from where I'm sitting anyway. Because here's the deal. One side or the other can always manipulate the facts and figures to suit their particular agenda. They can kind of tweak this or tweak that. You hear it all the time. Different statistics for one argument or the other. And you're saying, wait a sec, the other side said this. They just tweak it ever so slightly. It's like smoke and mirrors. But you cannot argue with somebody's real life story. 
That's why facts and figures and statistics could only dream of having the power and potential of a real live story. So when we want to influence those around us, whatever the setting may be in our homes or our places of work or in our communities, looking to stories is the way that's going to accomplish that. So there's this study that came out that I think is pretty remarkable. And it came out in 2010, and it was in the Proceedings of National Academy of Sciences. So this psychologist, Yuri Hassan, and his Princeton University colleagues had a graduate student tell an unrehearsed story while her brain was being scanned by an MRI machine. Then they scanned the brains of 11 volunteers that were listening to a recording of that story. As the researchers analyzed the data, they found some very intriguing similarities. When the speaker's brain lit up in the area that governs empathy and moral sensibilities, the listener's brain also came alive. They showed that there was this parallel activation in the area where we imagine other people's thoughts and emotions. So what that's really conveying is that in certain ways, stories help our brains map that of the storyteller. So when we want to connect with other people, stories help us to do that. Generation gaps have been an issue for a long time. There seems to be this disconnect between the generations. And as parents or grandparents, we want to bridge that gap so that we can connect with those loved ones. And now we're learning that stories are really the key to accomplishing that because they help us to understand each other. And I know that's true for me because I remember my grandfather many years ago sharing his life story. He actually wrote this amazing personal history and put it together in a hardbound book, and gave it to his children and grandchildren. And as I have poured through those stories over the years, it has helped me feel closer to my grandfather. And I remember looking at him in a whole different way. I had always loved and respected him. He was a very wise and compassionate man. But suddenly I was hearing him tell in his own words the stories of his childhood. And I was a teenager at the time, and I remember thinking, wow, he went through some of the same things that I'm facing. So I really saw how that particular act of compiling his stories bridged a generation gap and helped create unity within our family. 
And now it's something that I am continuing to share. And I look at that and it's priceless. Those stories are now being handed down from generation to generation. And his influence, even though he's been gone now for many years, is still making a difference within his family. So I think we have got to understand that stories are something that we should share. Sometimes in society, we are encouraged to keep our stories to ourselves. We're afraid because telling real stories requires us to get vulnerable. And vulnerability, make no mistake about it, is uncomfortable. There are no two ways around that. But when we're able to go to that vulnerable place and share our story, something remarkable happens. We experience a healing. And then those who hear our stories also get the benefit of what we have lived through. There was also another really powerful study that showcases quite effectively how this kind of empathetic storytelling can change the way that people act. Not only is it changing our brain in the way that we think, but these kinds of stories are powerful motivators. An Ohio State University psychologist named Lisa Libby studied a group of people who engaged in experience-taking or putting themselves in a character's place while reading. And high levels of experience-taking predicted these really observable changes in behavior. Libby and her colleagues found in 2012 that when people actually identified with a protagonist who voted in the face of challenges, they were more likely themselves to get to a polling place and cast their ballot. So these kinds of stories actually do bring about some real meaningful change in people's lives. That's why if you pay attention, and now that I'm bringing this to the forefront, I think you're going to be able to reflect on the many times that you have seen this in action. When there are these big social debates, there's a lot of effort that goes into silencing the stories. Because those folks know that stories are what bring about meaningful change. And they don't want that. They want to keep things on this level where they maybe hide the real issue within the issue. And we've seen that a lot in particular cases of crimes, of injustices. People get real uncomfortable with true stories. 
But as we look back throughout history, what we can see is that when there has been massive change, transformation in our society, stories were the driving force. And so when we look at political campaigns, one side or the other is always trying to tell a story. And sometimes it's a very ugly story about the opponent. Or it's a very carefully crafted narrative that's designed to make you connect with that particular candidate. I remember one experience that really showcased for me the effort that goes in to silencing stories. So, as you know, I work a lot on wrongful conviction cases. It's sort of my passion, my hobby, if you will. And one case that has been near and dear to my heart is the Christopher Tapp case. And there's a lot of national coverage out there on that case. Dateline, 48 Hours, Stars, Investigation Discovery, a lot of really big stories about this case. And you might think, how could all these different media outlets take this story and keep it interesting and compelling? And what you'll notice with all of those stories is that they're very different because this is a very broad case that has spanned many, many years, a couple of decades. Well, Christopher Tapp was released finally after serving 20 years for a murder he did not commit. He was released in 2017. It was a remarkable day that I will never forget. It's a story that I will share over and over again. I remember standing on those courthouse steps and just being filled with so much emotion because I had been working on this case. My husband was his defense attorney. I had become friends with the victim's mother. I had reported on this case over and over again, and I had taken a lot of criticism for telling this story because there were people that did not want to hear it. They wanted the status quo to remain. They didn't want this conviction to be overturned. They didn't want the system's reputation to somehow be marred. I will never forget standing there and seeing this incredible sight of the victim's mother and Christopher Tapp's mother both hugging Christopher Tapp simultaneously. And I'll never, as long as I live, forget his arms being held up in this victory pose and seeing the crowds of people be moved as a unthinkable wrong was finally corrected. Finally, after two decades, the wheels of justice had turned in the right direction for Christopher Tapp. Well, leading up to that release, 
we were doing a lot of sort of telling the story, trying to gain more public support. And Judges for Justice got involved. They had seen uh, the coverage on this, and they reached out um, a wonderful man and friend named Mike Heavey. And so I was working with Mike Heavey, and we were putting together an ad that would air on the Internet and in the newspaper, and he asked me to help put that together. And I knew the power of stories. And because I had been reporting on this case for so long, I knew that there were many people that could not see Christopher Tapp. They could not connect with him. They could not see him as a member of their community. They had bought in to the negative stories that had been shared for so long. Oh, Christopher Tapp was smoking pot, hanging with a rough crowd of kids down by the river. Okay. But you and I both know that those things certainly are not justification for locking him up for 20 years for a crime he didn't commit. A crime to which he was cleared by DNA. Well, as we worked on this, I decided to use this amazing photograph that I got from his mother, Vera. And it was him in his little league uniform, standing there holding the bat with this smile. And I used some other childhood photos, a baby picture of him and his mother. I used those pictures strategically to help bridge the gap, to help people to be able to cut through all the rhetoric that had been thrown at them for nearly two decades and to see this for what it really was, a horrible injustice. Well, there was a lot of backlash. People did not like the fact that I had used those pictures. They accused me of trying to use the child card. You better believe I was going to use whatever card necessary to tell the real story of a young man's pain and suffering. But the people that did not like that ad were those who didn't want that real story to be told. And often as I covered that case over the years, I would have people say, well, a jury of his peers convicted him. Leave it alone. They wanted to debate on some intellectual level, but I would always throw back stories. And what I found very quickly is that they didn't like the stories because the stories sort of blew their arguments right out of the water. The stories got to the heart of the matter. And that is something that you will find over and over again, no matter what the story, no matter where it's told, stories always get us to the heart of the matter. When we come back, we're going to continue talking about the power of stories. And I have a really amazing 
study to share with you. It's called the Significant Objects Project. You're not going to want to miss it. Don't go anywhere. I'm JoLynn Thomas, and we'll be back right after this. Step outside the comfort zone. You're listening to the JoLynn Thomas Show. If you're just joining us, we are talking about the power of stories. Never doubt the power of your own story. I want you to think for a minute, what was the first story that drew you in? I was thinking about that. I thought, if I'm going to pose that question, I need to really have an answer. And I remember loving the story of Cinderella. It was so magical for me. And I think that the message is something that transcends age. The message that I took from that was never give up on your dreams. And yes, there have been times in my life where I have thought, where is my fairy godmother? Seriously, I could use a fairy godmother to swoop in right now and make things a little better. But even though this is a fairy tale, the message is concrete and real. When we hold on to our dreams, magic can happen. I also loved Snow White. And the message of Snow White for me was, here is a woman and this evil queen is being horrible to her. And yet she's happy. She's joyful. And she finds a sense of purpose in caring for others. This story highlights the beauty of kindness. And that is a message that's timeless. That's a message that you can relate to whether you're three or 33. I also remember a story that one of my cousins would share every single time she would babysit me. And it was called The Valley of the Dolls. And this story drew me in and it became my favorite. And every single time it was time to go to bed, you know I had to have this story. And this story was really about finding your way home and having adventures along the way. And it also highlights the fact that as we travel the road of life, we meet different people, and no matter their background, no matter what they have had in their lives, they have something to offer, and we can learn from everybody that comes into our lives. I think what I loved also about the Valley of the Dolls is just enjoying the journey not getting so focused on getting to the end of the journey, but really enjoying that journey. And now that I'm older and wiser, I still love that story, but I see it a little bit different. And I think that's the truth about stories. These classics are enduring, are enduring because of the fact that they teach us things. They have these life lessons that don't just disappear. And we gain new insight. Even though the story doesn't change, our ability to maybe process that story expands with age and maturity. 
And now I realize that as we go through life, sometimes we all get lost. Not literally. We find our way back home at the end of the day. But sometimes we travel off that beaten path that leads us away from our purpose. And when we are not living our purpose, then we do not feel a sense of balance or peace because we all have a purpose and we're all meant to live that purpose and life throws a lot of curveballs our direction. But finding and living our purpose prompts true happiness. So the Valley of the Dolls, now I see it as, you know what? There are moments in our life when we travel away from our purpose and we just have to slow down for a moment, enjoy the journey, take in all the sights and sounds, and get back to the business of living our purpose. And in order to do that, we do have to sometimes block out the noise of the world and focus internally on what that purpose is. There are a lot of people that tell us what our purpose should be, that tell us why our dreams aren't possible. But we don't have to listen. Because the truth is, and when I speak to groups of young people, I tell them repeatedly this one thing. Everybody has a story. You may not think you do, but you really do. And your story can open new possibilities to those who hear it. So your story is meant to be shared. And the truth about our stories is that we are all the writers and producers and directors and, yes, even the editors of our own stories. We can't always change what happens to us, but we can edit how we handle it. We can write the story the way we want it to be told. And here's the bottom line. Either you define the moment or the moment defines you. So either we take the time to write our story, to be active participants, or that story is going to get written with or without us. You don't get to opt out of having a legacy or a story, but you do get to decide if you're going to be the one who takes control and writes it. Stories have this magic power. And there is this study that I'm anxious to share with you. It's called the Significant Objects Project. And when I heard about this, I was so intrigued. So here's the deal. I want you to think about what happens when you hire creative writers to make up stories about cheap trinkets. Yeah, I'm talking about stuff that might be considered trash. Little trinkets from a thrift store. What happens when these insignificant trinkets have a powerful narrative attached to them? Well, Rob Walker and Joshua Glenn decided to find out. So that's exactly what they did. Walker and Glenn asked 100 creative writers to invent stories about $129 worth of items, and then 
they sold those items on eBay with the stories attached because they wanted to see if the narrative, the story, if you will, would enhance the value of those objects. So what do you think? Do you think that stories have the ability to change the monetary value of something? Well, get ready. Hold on to your seats. Here's how the experiment turned out. Walker and Glenn netted $3.6 million. No, I did not stutter. Let me say that again. $3.6 million. That, my friends, is a 2,700% increase in the final markup. Wow. So let me give you an idea of one of the objects. It was a globe paperweight, and it was originally bought for $1.49, but with the story attached, it sold for a whopping $197.50. Why? Why would that object now be worth nearly $200 when it wasn't even worth $2 originally? Because the stories in that handwritten note that came with the globe resonated with the buyer. This insignificant little trinket became highly significant to someone because of the story. This experiment proves that as human beings, we really are just drawn to connect with stories. We feel stories, but data and statistics, on the other hand, not so much. They don't really move us. They might intrigue us. Certainly, I'll give you that. You can see a statistic that will draw you in, but it doesn't make you feel the way that a story does. That's why more and more businesses are spending time and attention crafting the way they tell their story. I remember learning this from my dad and my grandpa and my uncles. They owned a car dealership and they often talked about people buy the car because of the story that they imagine. It isn't just the car. It's what the car will do for them. It's how the car will make them feel about themselves and where they have gotten in their life. And I have this experience, and I'm going to share it with you. So, okay, on this one particular day, my dad was trying to teach me a valuable lesson of selling the vehicle that you have in stock. I wanted the quick route. I knew that across town they had the exact vehicle that this guy wanted. I wanted the deal, and I wanted it then. So why on earth couldn't he just go with it and do the dealer trade? He said, no, sell what we have. I remember looking at my dad, and I said, he hates the tan-colored truck. It makes him want to vomit. My dad said, 
Make him love it. Are you kidding me? What are you talking about? And then my dad did something that was quite effective. He challenged me. He said, I thought you were good enough to sell what we have. You've got it in you. Make him love the truck. So I thought about it, and I remembered my dad saying that people buy the truck or the car because of the story that they are writing in their mind. Well, this guy was newly divorced. His confidence was a little shaken. And so here's what I did. And I'm going to tell you this story, the whole story, so you see. Because when I start to tell you this, you're probably going to say, Jolynn, are you kidding me? You played that man like a fiddle. So you could get the deal. There was truth in what I said. But did I weave a very carefully crafted story? You better believe I did. So here's the deal. On the showroom floor, there was a blue car, the same color of blue that he wanted his truck to be, the same blue that was across town. And then there was the tan truck that I was trying to sell him that he did not like. And so this is what I did. I had him stand by the blue car, and I said, wow, that's a beautiful blue car. And I said, just stand by the tan truck. He stood by the tan truck and I said, oh, wow. Oh, wow. Oh, he said, what? I said, never mind, never mind. You're not ready for all this. He said, yes, I am. What? I said, no, 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 no. You're recently divorced. I cannot share this information with you. He's intrigued now. He said, what? And I said, well, (laughs) when you stand next to the tan truck, Your blue eyes pop. And you should probably have the blue truck because when you stand next to the blue car, I see the blue car. I don't see you or those blue eyes. I said, it's just like with makeup. If you have blue eyes, you don't want to wear blue eyeshadow. That's not going to make the eyes pop. You wear brown. I said, so we're going to do the dealer trade because, you know, you're not really ready for all the attention that you're going to get in that tan truck. I think we should just go the safe route. He says, I could be ready. And he's standing by this blue truck and he's like, does it really make my eyes pop? Do you really think women will notice me? And of course, you know, the guys that I worked with, they are mad as can be. Oh, my gosh, look at her. Look at her working that. It was true. Was I telling him the story that he wanted to hear? Of course. But, yes, the tan truck made his blue eyes pop. So he ends up buying the tan truck. And he's driving off confident. This is where we're getting to the power of a story the power of the narrative that he now believed. He now believed that that tan truck was going to make him a hot commodity on the single market. And that belief gave him confidence. He was kind of a shy guy. Well, I took a little bit, I'm telling you what. There were people 
guys that I worked with who say, I cannot believe you sold that man a tan truck, promising him that women would notice him in his big blue eyes. Well, here's the deal, ladies and gentlemen. That guy came back. He had a spring in his step, more confidence than he had had before. And you know what he said to me? He came in and he said, thank you so much, JoLynn, for convincing me to buy the tan truck. You're absolutely right. Everywhere I go, women are noticing me. I'm getting lots of dates. I've never had this experience in my life. And then I told him the truth. I said, it's not just about the tan truck. It's about the confidence that the tan truck gave you. You are walking with the belief that you matter. And other people are drawn to that. And so there you have it, my friends. Another example of the power of stories. The stories that we tell ourselves. The stories that we believe about ourselves impact the way others see us and impact the way that we live our lives. We're going to take a quick break, but there's much more to cover on this idea of the power of stories. We'll be back right after this. Common Sense Talk with Compassion. This is the JoLynn Thomas Show. Here's JoLynn Thomas. So I saw this quote about stories that moved me and I cannot wait to share it with you. And as I share this with you, I want you to think about the times in your life that stories have been responsible for something major. So here we go. Stories are the beginning of the conversations that we have with ourselves and others. Think about that. Stories really do spark great conversation. And when we're having great conversation, when we're brainstorming, that's how we get closer to making progress on really key issues. Throughout history, we see examples of how finally getting people to see the real story has influenced public opinion for the better, has been responsible for bringing about much-needed changes. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was very effective in helping to control the narrative. He didn't get drawn into the emotion of retaliation that would have taken the spotlight off the real story. He stayed true to the story, and that was the beginning of getting people to see the ugliness of what was happening in our society. You know that I talk quite often about the need for a massive makeover in our criminal justice system. All you have to do is step back and look at what's going on. We talk the talk. We are good at that. But we are not walking the walk. We say we're in the business of rehabilitating people, but we are not. We have made the criminal justice system into a money-making machine. We're more interested in profiting. 
our probation system is not helping people to change their thoughts and behaviors. It's throwing them into a state of chaos that leads them on this downward spiral. We take people who are struggling and we make them pay for the cost of supervision. We make them pay for their own drug testing. We make them pay for classes. And they can't even get a job that pays much because they're just fresh out of jail. And everybody's a little leery because when people do their time, we still want to hang it over their head. We're kind of like, yep, come on back into society, but we're not going to really let you play. Stand on the sidelines. Well, there is this tremendous program that I just came across, and I'm so excited. And I'm thinking, how did I not know about this before? So you know I'm excited to share it with you. It was founded by Professor Robert Waxler and Judge Robert Kane. It's called, are you ready for this? Changing Lives Through Literature. And basically what it is, it is it's an alternative sentencing program that uses literature as a way of reaching criminal offenders on probation. Literature seminars give the probationers an opportunity to build self-esteem, learn social skills, understand what is appropriate behavior, and rehabilitate through attending class discussions about stories. And it's part of their probation. Now, here's the thing. There's a big trend that's been going on for a while of book clubs. There was even a movie recently made about that with Diane Keaton. I loved it. Book club. But a lot of people have started these book clubs. Oprah Winfrey was big in getting people to read the same book at the same time and have these powerful conversations. Well, that's what this is based on. And there are some pretty incredible insights to this success. Over 3,500 offenders have participated in the program, and they are seeing that it is having a profound effect on their insight into maybe what led them down this path. It's changing the way that they think and feel and act. And independent studies indicate that there is truly a reduction in recidivism rates, a reduction in violent behavior. So this is a powerful program. And the way it works is you take these offenders, many of whom have been scarred by trauma through their childhood. The road to prison for them started at birth because they were born into these difficult situations. And, of course, you know right now, as I say this, there are people saying, well, I had a rough life and I didn't go down that path. Oh, stop already. The bottom line is we need to put our attention onto positive things. If you didn't go down that path, good for you. Thumbs up, snaps. But let's not stand in judgment of other people. Let's be in the business of doing proactive measures that are going to 
give us more bang for our buck. Now, maybe you can't really connect with this idea of people sitting around, having a little book club, talking about stories and how that's going to work. Maybe you can't buy that. But here's the truth. It costs over $35,000 a year to keep an inmate incarcerated. That's a lot of money. These seminars are a lot less than that. And they're showing some results. So why not, when we have a captive audience, do what we can to make a difference? Why not use the power of stories? Think about the classics. What's your favorite classic? Think about those. They stand the test of time because we connect with the characters. And as we see them learning valuable life lessons, we take those lessons in. And it does affect our brains on many levels. So I'm a big believer in this program. And I think we need to implement it more. And I think even in our schools, as we're having problems, last week we talked about bullying, cyberbullying. This is the kind of thing that could be impactful. Getting students to read the same book that has a powerful message and then getting them to sit down and discuss it so that we are teaching children to think rather than just mimic back memorized material. I think that that's where we have to get to. So much right now, it's about this test score or that test score. But when you get right down to it, what we need to teach young people is how to learn, how to engage with the world around them. Because knowing all these fractions or algebra problems is not going to help them to effectively navigate the challenges of life. And many of them do not have that support at home. And so we can sit back and say, well, it's not our responsibility. <laughs> but to the tune of $35,000 a year, it becomes taxpayer responsibility. So why not utilize that money in a more proactive way? Why not allow the power of stories to work? And I think once you get people to understand that they have the ability to write their own story, then it becomes a game changer. I remember when I was young and we would go on road trips. And I'm from a big family, okay? So I'm the oldest of eight kids. So imagine that kind of a road trip. Yes, some chaos happening, somebody's too close to somebody, somebody's hot, somebody's cold, somebody's hungry, whatever. It can be chaotic. Well, my parents had this effective way of keeping us engaged. We would play this game, and it was the storytelling game. And I think I loved it more than all my brothers and sisters put together. And perhaps that was because I was destined to be a storyteller. I didn't maybe know it at that moment, but it became my purpose. So we would ride along and somebody would start a story and they would go for a particular amount of time and then the next person would pick it up 
And it became a group story. And each of us had a part to play in crafting that story. And it was so much fun to see where it would go. One person would leave off and then now you take it. And it was good in prompting imagination, getting us to really think outside of the box. That's one of the keys. In society, sometimes we want to box people in. We want them to stay in this little box. But we got to be out of the box thinkers. That's where miracles occur. Good ideas don't happen when we're just sitting in the box, coloring in the lines. It's when we find the courage to venture outside and consider the possibilities. And that's what storytelling can do. When we start to understand that we don't have to be victims of circumstance, that we can indeed be active participants, that each of us really are authors. Maybe we've never thought of ourselves as that, but we have the ability to be the author of our own story. And once you recognize that, it's a game changer. Think about the stories that move you. When you hear stories of survival, stories of people getting knocked down and picking themselves up by the bootstraps and continuing forward, that kind of energy is contagious. That kind of energy prompts light and possibility and hope. And what we know is that the only thing stronger than fear is hope. I remember one of the stories that impacted me tremendously as I was reporting on this. I remember that I was about to interview a couple who had just lost their baby. And I was nervous about that because I knew that was hard for them. And they said something to me right before that interview that really opened my eyes to the power of sharing your truth and your story. They said, we just hope that by sharing our story, it can comfort somebody else. And stories have a way of doing that. When we find the courage to share our truth, we never really know who is going to benefit from that. We never really know how that might motivate somebody else. As I work in that arena of wrongful conviction, I am constantly inspired by the stories that I hear. And I feel honored to have the privilege of sharing those stories. And the common denominator that I have found in all of those stories, all of those who have known this ugly fate are very diverse. They come from different walks of life. But the one thing that I see over and over again is that these individuals are great storytellers. And they have decided to write their story the way that they want it to be told. And instead of focusing on what was taken from them, they focus on what's in front of them. Instead of focusing on revenge or retaliation, anger, Hatred, bitterness. They decide to get better rather than bitter. 
and they focus on hope and forgiveness and light and love and possibility and peace. And they know the power of forgiveness. These are people who have every reason to dwell on what was taken. Imagine, imagine for a moment, if you will, losing 20 years of your life for no reason, being wrongfully convicted and having years taken, Christmases, birthdays, marriages, family reunions, a million little things taken from you. As I've interviewed these individuals, I've often thought, how do they do it? And I often wonder, could I do that? Or would I fall into that trap of focusing on what I missed? To see these people living their best life. I look at Christopher Tapp, and I'm inspired every time I see him or have the privilege to talk with him and his new wife because he's living life. He's not focused on what he lost. He's focused on what he can still gain. Life is about the stories that we tell ourselves. Elizabeth Smart is another story that has inspired me. A young kidnapping victim at the age of 14 that was a national phenomenon, that story. And her rescue was remarkable. And I was working at a CBS affiliate as a news anchor, and I took the call when we learned that she had been found. And I remember the joy that I felt because I'd followed that case. I'd reported on that case. And to see that happy ending was remarkable. Now to see this beautiful young woman taking that bitter life experience and using it to inspire others is breathtaking. Life isn't about the number of breaths we take. It's about... The moments that take our breath away. Breathtaking moments. Life truly is about the stories we tell ourselves. And we see it. If our life is particularly hard, it's probably because we're really good storytellers. I mean, after all, storytelling is part of our DNA. It's something that is with us from the beginning of time. So if we are stuck and struggling and can't get on that path that leads to happiness and prosperity and hope, it's because we're telling ourselves a really good story, a negative story, and we believe it. But on the flip side of the coin, when we shift the focus and when we tell our stories in a positive, hopeful way, good things happen. So remember that. Your story has power, not just for other people, but for yourself. And if you want to move forward and you're feeling stuck, take a moment and realize it may just be because you're an incredible storyteller and you are believing the stories that you're telling yourself. Just like the guy in the car dealership. Once he believed that narrative, once he believed that his eyes popped and that he had beautiful blue eyes and that women would find him desirable, it was a game changer. He had the confidence to live his best life, to make his dreams come true. Everybody has a story. And make no mistake about it, we are all in a position to write 
our own story. And if we don't, then that story will own us. Instead, let's own our stories and share them so that we can help each other get to a place of hope and happiness and live our real purpose. I'm JoLynn Thomas. Thanks so much for joining me. I would love to hear your stories. You can always share them with me at the JoLynn Thomas Show Facebook page. Let me know what you think. I'll talk to you again next time.